Hello and welcome to This is Modern Rock, a podcast about the history of alternative rock music as seen through the lens of the Billboard Modern Rock charts. I'm Will Westerkow and this is October 1988. Today I'm joined in the studio by Todd. Welcome. Hi, thanks. Todd, uh, hopefully you can clear this up for us. I claimed last week that Mick Jones was kicked out of the clash. That is absolutely true. Okay. I thought it was true, but it does bring up a question in my mind, which is, wasn't he a founding member? How do you get kicked out of your own band? Uh, That's a question that went through his mind immediately. Uh, That's part of the whole lore. Uh, He became a bloated rock star, which was the antithesis of what they were about, and uh, it turns out that it was uh, one of Joe's biggest regrets in life. It wasn't. It wasn't just Mick, though. He also sacked Topper. Oh, really? Yeah. the The engine, according to Joe, of the whole the whole machine. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, it's a sad, sad part of that story. Did the Clash continue after that point? Uh, the Clash, as we know them, did not. But Paul and Joe soldiered on. Were there more albums? There was one record, okay. largely forgettable. Okay. Uh, notably titled Cut the Crap. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, I actually, I, somehow I missed that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, alternative rock, uh, it has its its origins going back into like 60s garage rock, 70s punk and post-punk. Um, it's basically been around for quite a while. Why do you think it took until September 1988 for billboard to finally acknowledge its existence i guess to to give it its own chart uh i don't know that there was ever anything terribly marketable about it uh when it was punk or when it was garage or when it was even post-punk um i'm sure people would argue that of course some people made some money but on a large scale i don't think it was palatable and um think that's kind of what happened in the mid to late 80s is it became it became mainstream mm-hmm. almost but they had to call it something edgy right so that kids didn't completely scoff at it yeah you know so it's that thing about if your parents like it it must not be cool anymore but i think right. they were trying to figure out a way to sell records to both parents and teenagers okay maybe the same records yeah so um cool let's go ahead and look at our first song of the evening okay all right so our first song today was number one on the modern rock charts for the first three weeks of october 1988 this song is called all that money wants by the psychedelic furs you familiar with the song i vaguely it uh it is striking a chord i kind of remember that um what album was it called? All the money wants the record. Um, this is, yeah, so so the psychedelic furs at this point had released five studio albums, right? And in 1988, they released what's essentially a greatest hits album, right? Called All of This and Nothing, right? Um, and this was like a special bonus track single that was included okay. on that release. Okay, yeah they they were produced by Steve Lillywhite early on, weren't they? I'm not sure. And then. Uh, if I'm getting it right, and then they went to Todd Rundgren because he was because Lily White wasn't available anymore, mm-hmm. and they had kicked somebody out of the band, so they'd pared down. They were like down to three guys or something. So, yeah, do we get to hear the song? Because yeah. that'll refresh my memory. Yeah, let's let's refresh the memory. Okay. Let's go. Okay. 
Okay, so that was all that money wants. Um, what'd you think? Uh, I liked it. I liked it more now probably than I did then. I probably wouldn't have appreciated as much. I remember hearing it and I remember it sticking around, but I can see why it's a good song. Yeah, I like it too, yeah. Um, I I saw them not long ago. You did? I mean, not long ago for me now is a couple years ago, but that's that's not that long ago. Are they, do you know if it's still the original band? I know it's him. Okay. And uh, I think his brother. I was going to say, I think, yeah, I think, I think uh, Richard Butler and Tim Butler. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're still doing it, but uh, he sounded great. He yep. sounded amazing. How did he look? Because for some reason, um, when I picture him, I always picture Billy Drago. He, he, he looks like he's getting the most out of what Harry has left. Okay. So I, I think he still is blessed with enough that with product, he can still, okay. and the right lighting, Okay. yeah, yeah look it's, relevant. It's making it work. The rock, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. How was that show? It was good. It yeah. was it was a pleasant surprise. They yeah. played all the hits. They did. Yeah. Of course they did. All the money once was that. That was on the on the set list. Sure. All right. What do you think that means? All the money once. I think it gets all that it wants. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Um. So I you know uh three weeks on top of the charts. I I guess I can see why. Um. That was a good one. You sure. know, if you compare it to stuff a little lower on the charts, I I think it holds up it does sound very 80s i think it sounds of the time but it's a nice sound of its time it's not like the sometimes when people say we're talking about 80s music they're talking about something that sounds really cheesy maybe very um what am i trying to say disposable um this doesn't sound like that it sounds 80s but it it sounds um kind of classic at the same time it also could have been late 70s too yeah some post-punk band that you never heard of sure so sure okay let's go ahead and move on to our second song let's do um a big big band um this is the band u2 Mm. have you heard of these guys i have yeah irish outfit yeah irish outfit yeah Yeah. um so u2 i guess they were uh, an alternative act um but Prior to 1988, they had blown up on the world stage. So we're talking about a band at this point that is simultaneously um, loved by college students, college Mm -hmm. radio, and Mm -hmm. also loved by everybody else Mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is not uh, my personal favorite band, um, but they made a lot of really good music. If you go and if you buy like their singles, 1980 to 1990, it's like nonstop great songs, right. like front to back. And if we all could write one song sure. that carries sure. like, like 50 songs that they've written. Right, you know? yeah. yeah. So this is actually an interesting place for them because they were just coming off, I think, probably their biggest album, The Joshua Tree. Um, do you know when that was, 1986, 87? 84. Five or eighty six. Yeah. Okay. Eighty six. Yeah. I think I was just out of the army. Okay. So huge album sold something like twenty five million Massive. copies worldwide, something like that. Um, and I think when people uh, think of YouTube from this era, they think Joshua Tree and they think Octung Baby, which was also a massive super hit. Um, but there was actually an album in between those two, and that album was called Rattle and Hum. Um, oh, the documentary. The sixth album. Was there is there a documentary associated with it? I'm not even familiar. It's, I believe it's the soundtrack for the documentary. Oh. Rattle and Hum. It's like a like a tour documentary? 
Uh, yeah, they, the, the movie's actually interesting. Yeah. It's, uh, like if you wanted to make a movie about your band, mm-hmm. you would do it kind of like that. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I remembered going to the theater to see it and enjoyed it immensely. It's got great scenes with, uh, the blues guy, BB. BB King? He's on one of the songs. Right, yeah. Um, they go to this church in Harlem and they, you know, incorporate mm-hmm. this choir from a, a church in Harlem. And it's, it's got good footage and. It's a feel good, you know. I was a fan at the time. I I liked them, so yeah, yeah. yeah so this album sold 14 million copies worldwide. Oh, uh, I didn't realize. Big wow. big disappointment after the 25 million of Joshua Tree. Right, what a letdown. Yeah, um, but it did. The album itself went to number one, I think, on the Billboard charts. Hmm. And this song, in addition to topping the modern rock tracks, it also. Uh, went to number three on the Hot 100. Is that right? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Crossover success. What? Good for them. Yeah. Yeah. can see how it became a hit yeah it's infectious it is yeah Yeah. although i think to be fair at this point like it doesn't really matter what the first single off of this album was going to be like coming off the joshua tree anything you two released i think would have been a pretty successful song they they had to get really experimental for it to not have wide popular appeal so so I haven't listened to this whole album, but I've heard the singles from it. It does seem to have a little bit more of like a, I was going to say like a rootsy feel, but it seems like they're digging into some blues a little more. They're digging into like gospel singers and American roots music sure. maybe. Yeah. Right. yeah, it's yet another homage, but a little more obvious mm-hmm. to you know, everything we like if we like rock and roll. Yeah. Everything that rock and roll credits. Right. So this is, I don't know, that's a good song. It's it's not really what I want to reach for when I want to reach for you too. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. Sure. Um but I still like it. It's good. It's catchy. It's fun. I I liked them for much of the same reason I liked all of the English and Irish stuff that I liked. Mm-hmm. Uh because I was a bit of an anglophile growing up and that really kind of mesmerized me that that culture. So uh, when I first learned about them and learned that The Clash was probably their biggest influence, mm-hmm. then I go, oh, okay, what are these guys about? Right. So I got to see them uh, a few times over the years. A couple times, I saw them in Paris, I saw them in, in Germany. Uh, yeah, they never they never disappointed. They were, they were great showmen. The songs are great, like we talked about. Right. Uh, and everybody in the building is having a blast, mm-hmm. you know, kind of riveted. So, yeah, you know, I guess there's a there's some lore about them in Portland. Really? Wherein a a bag full of lyrics, an attache or some mm-hmm. sort of bag that was precious to Bono, was stolen from one of their shows. So he vowed that's why they've never played Portland since. Really? Yeah, wow. And they were playing in a small venue at the time. This was probably. 
1980. That's a grudge right there. It is a grudge. Yeah. He, he hasn't forgotten, apparently. I know. Now I, uh, now I do have something against Bono. <laughs> <laughs> you got to let it go, man. <laughs> you would think. Yeah. Yeah. How much success do you need <laughs> exactly. to, to give the people of Portland, especially since nobody that lives here now was yeah, right. part of that. Exactly. So, yeah. I know. I wish I, I had like a really solid Irish accent I could bust out, <laughs> you know? Oh, you stole me lyrics. <laughs> Instead, you come up with the Lucky Charms guy. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> that that actually is what Bono sounds Thank like. You. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. So uh, one more thing I want to say about this song. Uh, when I was doing research, I discovered that it was inspired by a Stooges song called 1969. Okay. Um, and I wasn't familiar with that song, so I looked it up. And it's almost shocking how inspired by it it is. <laughs> um it's almost like you could just replace uh, Iggy Pop with Bono. I see. And, and have the same song. I see. I don't know if I'm overstating the similarities or not, but um, do, you want, do you want to hear a clip of I that? would love to hear yeah. some of this, yeah. Okay. I'm dying to know which one it is. All right. It's the same riff. Yeah, it's it's like the Bo Diddley beat, and it's got like the same guitar riff, right? It's the same riff. And even like the hand claps, right? Yeah, yeah, same song. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, I guess I guess the Stooges just needed to like have a hook for a chorus, and they they would have right top the charts. Right. Yeah. Come on, guys. Get or a little it more delay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so the month of October there were five different weeks uh that they had charts so three of them were occupied at number one by psychedelic furs the next two weeks by u2 with desire and then u2 is gonna hold on to that number one spot for quite a while going into the next month so at this point we have to dig a little bit deeper into the charts so we're going to talk about a band that got as high as number three on the modern rock charts okay uh, this is a band that i had never heard of before hmm. um a song i'd never heard before hmm. before doing research for this podcast um, but I believe that you are familiar with them. This is the band The Escape Club with their hit wow. Wild Wild West. Wow. Okay. Not to be mistaken with uh, Will Smith's uh, song of the same name. No, no, by no means. Or, Although they were contemporaries, were they not? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? Wasn't it around the same time? Yeah, Will Will and uh, and DJ Jazzy Jeff. Sure. I think I think it was about the same time. Seems like it. Yeah. So Will Smith's Will Smith's hit was much later uh-huh. with the uh, the Wild Wild West Kevin Klein Will Smith vehicle. Okay. I don't I don't know. Okay. Uh, but Cool Mo D had a had a hit as well with Wild Wild West. Okay. Popular subject. Sure. And of course, Tupac later wanted to welcome us all to the Wild Wild West. Right. Um, but I was always I was always thankful that he that he took the time to do I that. I know that was that was kind of him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he had a heart. So you know, Wild Wild West is very a very popular subject. People are interested in the Wild Wild West. Right. I can tell you what I know about this band from research. I can tell you this is a British band. Um, it was and, a bit of a melting pot, wasn't it? Didn't they have guys in the band from? Well, you would think so based on the way they rapped in with Jamaican right. accents. Right, you, you might, but you might Caribbean be wrong patois. about that based that on right? what they look like. I see. I well, I'm only going by the video. Yeah. Okay. I don't. Well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, mm, 
I mean, there's a there's a guy who has like very curly dark hair. Okay. So, um, yeah. So th- this is apparently the only British band to hit number one on the Hot 100 in the U.S., but not ever chart in the U.K. That's saying something. Yeah. I mean, that is saying something because it's typically the opposite, right? Right, of course. Yeah. Yeah, but that also brings up this point. This song went to number three on the on the modern rock charts. Okay. But it went to number one on the Hot 100 that charts. Me this away. was a number one hit that in blows America. Me away. Number yeah. one. Yeah. In the in the land. And it's also funny because if you look at the charts, usually what happens is, is a song kind of climbs up the charts, peaks, and then kind of like slowly falls back down. This song climbed up to number three and then just disappeared from the modern rock charts. Hmm. And I think what happened was it climbed up. People are like, yeah, I like this modern rock song. And then all these other people started liking it. It was getting play on that's like Top cool 40 anymore. radio. And they're like, that ain't no, cool. that's not modern rock. Right. That's yeah. that's yeah. mainstream right. pop something. Yeah. Okay, so you tell me what you know about this song, Wild Wild West. Uh, it's interesting. You're, you're kind of... I was very surprised to hear you say that it was a number one. I knew that it was immensely popular in that uh, if you found yourself in a nightclub mm-hmm. during that period, you most certainly would have heard it maybe twice in the evening, okay. depending on how much time you spent there. Uh, very popular. And I liked some things about it. There okay. were some aspects of it that appealed to me. The beat was super, super simple and straightforward. Right. Um, the guitar sounds guitar driven mm-hmm. and I'm a sucker for that. It, this had the benefit of MTV, which right. made or break. Right. Uh, With made it. or broke bands back then. So the guy was playing a black Telecaster. So they automatically get an N with me okay. in, the, in that capacity of all of the, Of course, yeah. You know, of course. Um, and then it's got this almost Dylan-like staccato delivery you know i'm glad you brought that up i was gonna i was uh, gonna say after we listened to it i was gonna say the verse is very much subterranean it's subterranean home blues, blues yeah. yeah right yeah and i don't think that's by accident uh i think that grabs you and you're gonna listen to the next word mm-hmm. and it's danceable the chorus is super catchy right. and you know yeah i mean it's designed to to be fun yeah you know, i don't think it's taking itself too seriously right uh and there's i mean there's even sound effects there's like these gun wild gun west gunfight but they're stuff. not they're not like scary guns no they're, they're like no this kind it's of almost cartoony movie, like exactly you'd, you'd want it to make that sound if you were unholstering your implied and fake six shooter, you know, like to make a point. Yeah. And then we, I mean, we, maybe we should listen to the song first. I definitely want to talk about the rap, but maybe we should listen to it first. Let's do. Okay. Let's do. Here we go. Escape club, wild, wild west. No, I, you know, like I said, the song, I, I remember being in dance clubs and this song was on and yeah. it would pack the floor. Yeah. They're, 
what are they? They're living for the nineties. No, they're heading for the nineties. They're he- heading for the living 90s. in the eighties. Yeah, heading for the nineties. Yeah. Um, and I just want to know, like, was that something that got people psyched? Like, is that part of the appeal of the song? It's nineteen eighty eight. Like, people are sick of the eighties. Like, I want those nineties to come, and these guys are singing the straight 90s to my soul. Can't happen quick enough. Yeah. is what they're saying. Yes, he does mention something about give me that safe sex too. He does, yeah. So it's, and that's that's a real nineties sort of idea. Sure. That notion, you know, it's like, it's uh, at kind of the height of the HIV and, and AIDS epidemic. And yeah. people are getting smart about, well, we're still going to have sex. Sure. So My sex in the 90s was very safe. Very safe. <laughs> right. But some of my best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, hmm. I don't know. I guess I have mixed feelings. You, you're you're coming at the song from a, an angle of, I heard this at the time. It was fun. Got everyone on the dance floor. Um, I'm approaching it from never heard it before. Um, this song's super goofy. I can't. Why do- the heck was it number one? Is yeah, that the I best mean, we had? Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. It, it was completely, you know, a, a, a guilty thing. I didn't want all my punk rock friends to know. Yeah, you kept that one under your mattress. That I was snapping my fingers to that song. Yeah. I didn't ever own it. Okay. But you could hear it readily just by going out in public. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. It was going to be on your radio in yeah. your car. It was going to be in the club, and pretty good chance one of your friends had it. Yeah, that, that's amazing set. that you say that because you know I was I was alive in '88. I was not really listening to music, but there were certain songs that were so big they filtered down, and I just assumed they were massive super hits. Mm-hmm. And then other songs that never got to me somehow. And this song never heard. It was one week on top of the charts, Hot 100. Um, and very close, maybe like right before, right after, um, the song Kokomo by the Beach Boys was also number one for just one week. Hmm. Now, I heard that song a lot. Right. That, to me, I would think would have been massively bigger based on my experiences in 1988. But apparently, um, they both. So when you say it was on on the chart, or you said it was number one, it was number for a, one for one week. But it was on the chart for a long time. Oh, probably. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, because it was on the radio for a long time. Yeah. No matter what its chart position was, I mean, I shouldn't say no matter what. It obviously fell out of graces, but that Kokomo song that was popular for a long. So time. So it probably was just sticking around in some other position on sure. the charts while Wild Wild West like slipped off. Yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah. And I don't think people were calling up a year later going. Can we hear Wild Wild West? Right. You know. Yeah. I miss it. Yeah. There's another song that I doubt people were calling up and saying they missed, and that's going to be our fourth and final song oh. of the evening. Oh. So um, for this song, I'm reaching way down into the charts. Okay. Okay. All the way down to number 17 on the modern rock charts. Oh, good grief. Yeah. 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 Right. Do um, people even pay attention after no, 15? Well, no. But um, this one's special for a few reasons. Okay. First of all, this song is a novelty hit, novelty song. Okay. Um, Wild Wild West wasn't a novelty? Yeah. You know, that's maybe debatable. I would I would not classify it as a novelty hit, okay. although it does have some novelty um, elements to it. it it does have that Americana story. Mm-hmm. It, it defines us, the yes, wild, wild west. As performed by some Brits. Sure. Yeah. Who knows better? Uh, yeah. Right. But this song is, like, there's no denying it. This is a straight-up novelty song. Okay. Uh, it's by a band who I guess are called the Time Lords, although they're only called the Time Lords for this song. I see. Right? They were they were a band separate from this. They changed their name just for this song ah. to the Time Lords. Okay. Uh, and they were cashing in on <laughs> that that craze called Doctor Who. 
Ah. Yes, this song is called Doctrine the TARDIS. I see. Yes, are you familiar with this one? I am not familiar. Okay. This is going to be a treat yeah, on it, all it, fronts. It, it will. Let me, let me read you a, a short quote okay. uh, from a reviewer about the song. So Melody Maker described the song as pure unadulterated agony, <laughs> dot, 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 <laughs> excruciating. Oh, gosh. Wow. Quote. This was a blatant attempt to top the charts. I see. Right. In England, of course, right? Um, if you want to top the charts, you actually have to maybe do something, uh, write a song about something popular. Okay. Doctor Who in the US is something of a, a cult, right. um, cult TV show. Right. Uh, but in the UK, it's insanely popular, right. right? It's been around since the, I think, early 60s. They've had something like 12 or 13 different doctors. They've had over 800 episodes. Right, this is like a huge thing. You've seen the show a couple times. Uh, my brother's a big fan. Okay. I've seen I've seen a few episodes of the show, okay. but but in in England, this is like a cultural phenomenon. It's like right? Marmite or something. Yes, yeah. yeah. Right. So these guys are like, we want to have a hit song. Let's get some samples. We'll sample the Doctor Who theme song. Okay. Right, and then they said, oh, it's got kind of a, a weird beat. So like the timing on it's a little strange. Oh, you know what? Gary Glitter's Rock and Roll uh, Part 2 or whatever yes. fits perfectly. Yes, right. They threw it behind the Doctor Who theme and then said, we've got a hit. Got ya. This one's going straight to number one. Okay. And it did. Wow. Number one in the UK for wow. one week. Wow. Yeah. So let's wow. give it a listen. Here let's we go. Do. Doctor in the TARDIS by the Time Lords. Okay, Doctor in the TARDIS, what'd you think? Uh, I thought that was a good example of that phenomenon you were describing when you were introducing the, the last song, that you can take pretty much anything and uh, craft it the right way, and if it's goofy enough and obscure enough, you'll end up on the chart. Yeah. I mean, that was, obviously it's dumb, it's totally dumb. Heck with trying to write something <laughs> meaningful. Yeah. You know? Did you enjoy it, though? Did it get you pumped? Would you would you want to listen to that in any setting whatsoever? I, I don't think I would need to consume that so that I could replay it. I think, obviously, we have the technology now. If we yeah. want to, for these purposes, we can do that. But it doesn't motivate me in any way. I don't want to dance or procreate yeah. you know, or fight, Yeah, which is... And, and do you feel like if you were at a sporting event... Um, just Gary Glitter on his own would do the trick without the addition of the probably, the TARDIS. Probably, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, I because I think, I think when you're rooting for a team, you're going like, "Hey, right." That's aimed toward the team. Right. But when you're like rooting for a team, and you're going Doctor Who. Right. Yeah, it's not it loses something. It does. Yeah. yeah. Un unless your team is Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah if you're in the doctor who supporters club you know yeah. yeah there's like a minor league ball team out there listening to this podcast it's like holy crap guys it's for we us. just got our new it's theme song right yeah yeah i wonder if we're gonna get a better bus uh-huh yeah <laughs> yeah so you're right i mean i i don't it, other than like going hey friend listen to this song that's a total joke it's kind of funny to like hear half of it once 
Um, I don't think I need to listen to this again. No. Do you listen to it and you wait for a critical moment in it or no, yeah, something to change? Yeah. I think you know what you're getting the first right. you know, six or seven right. seconds. Yeah. Although I will say this, um, last week, a couple of different songs we listened to had used sampling mm-hmm. um, and the song's obviously sampling as well. So was this suddenly like a big thing in rock music in 1988? I guess the gunshots on Wild Wild West yeah, too, Yeah, I thought right? that's what you were alluding to. Yeah, no. Yeah. We listened to Big Audio Dynamite and uh, some Susie and the Banshees. I think, he, I think Big Audio Dynamite may have sampled the exact same gunshot stuff. Really? In uh, Equals MC Squared. Really? Yeah. Wow. There's this whole, he takes, I don't know, maybe 20 seconds from some Western movie it's like a court scene or something where he reads the guy's charges uh-huh. and then there's gunfire and sounded very similar to that. And now that you say that. That would be really funny if it was the same gunshot. That's good. But yeah. that being said, um, if you look up hip hop samples, there's some like drum breaks that have been used in like 300 different right. hip hop songs. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Someone finds a good one that just gets passed around. Right. Actually, you know what I noticed listening to this? If you listen to just the Doctor Who theme part, like the... Um, it's kind of like an eerie keyboardy sounding mm-hmm. lick. The first thing I thought was like, wow, Muse, the band Muse either really loves Doctor Who or they really love this song. This song. Yeah. Right. Cause I feel like, I feel like I didn't know until this moment, but I, I feel like Muse built their career around the Doctor Who theme song. Mm. Yeah. May, maybe as interpreted by this band. I see. I, I hear the connection. I hear what you're talking about. It worked for these guys. They made it to 17 yeah. in the American charts. Right. And then these guys followed this up with a book called something to the effect of how to have a number one hit song the easy way. I see. Yeah. Wow. Do you have a copy of that? I do not. Okay. <laughs> my, my, my career is kind of, you know, peaking, so... Yeah. I feel like I'm at about number 330. You know what the problem with a book like that, though? It's really easy to write after you've had that number one hit. (laughs) Well, it would have been odd if they write the book and then get a number one hit after that. That would have been cool, but I think it would have sold better. How'd you guys do it? Well, we just read our book. (laughs) Yeah. Duh. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we're getting near the end of the show. Um, I like to take a moment to, I don't know, talk about what we learned, if anything. I mean, the point of this show is to kind of see where alternative rock came from, how it evolved, um, how it fell apart, I I think it's safe to say. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and we're just looking at a small snapshot, one month Mm -hmm. in the modern rock charts. But Mm -hmm. did you notice anything, any trends? Did you you learn anything? Is there anything, any insights you had? Um, If I'm not mistaken, all of the songs we heard were even though some were uh, more heavily sampled than others, but they're all guitar-driven songs, right? The Psych First yeah. was, the U2 song was, right. obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wild Wild West. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm a little surprised, I guess, that we didn't hear at least one that wasn't more synth. Sure. You know, I mean, I guess most people would say, yeah, 80s, you'd hear a lot of synth. Mm-hmm. Um particularly in the drums. And it seemed like the drums sounded pretty much like drums. Like, yeah, you I know? think so. Organic drums. So I guess that's something I noticed that I was a little surprised by. Um, they're all pretty disparate mm-hmm. from each other. That's true. 
you know, we've got British. They're all, none of them are American. Well, you know what? That's a really good point because last week it was the same thing. We are eight for eight on UK bands. Huh. Mm -hmm. No Aussies though. No, they are. If you look at the charts, there's at least as many Australian bands as American bands at this point. It's weird. Yeah. And just tons of UK bands. Yeah. Irish, Scottish, a lot of, right. a lot of English bands. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what, is, what does that mean? It means we're being taxed without representation, obviously. <laughs> well, I think if you look at the mainstream rock charts, it's almost all American bands. I see. And so, is this some kind of culture war? Are the radio stations just refusing to play British bands? And huh. that's why they're forced to be played on college radio stations? Or is this just a difference in taste between continents? So I, I think if you backed up 10 years prior, yeah. take 1978, okay, a lot of bands that, that I like and would have latched onto then from the UK, probably there wasn't a chart for them. There wasn't an outlet. There mm -hmm. wasn't a radio station that was playing them, obviously. Nobody was playing the Jam or the Stranglers or the right. Clash, or, you know, truthfully, in 78. Right. Uh, I mean, there were a few probably college radio stations that were doing that. Sure, country, if you were, but, were really lucky and lived in yeah, like a large market. Sure, have, yeah. sure. Uh, but as far as mainstream stations, so I think with the advent, when did you say that modern rock became a thing and had a chart? So September 1988. Oh, so it's in its genesis. Yeah. Oh, well, that, then that explains a lot why we're hearing maybe that was the place for these bands. Right. Modern rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what what is a American modern rock? Does it exist? Right. Are we going to hear some? I, I'll look forward to the next uh, installment. Yeah, and see if there you, are any American. There bands. are. We will actually hear two of them next next uh, That's episode. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I look forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for joining us, Todd. I'm honored. Thank you so much. It's yeah. been a treat. This was this is modern rock. I'm Will Westerkow. Goodbye. Goodbye.